Hey everybody, before we start today's episode, I just wanted to give a reminder to give us a follow on Twitter, at ListenInPod. That's at ListenInPod. We have uh, fun discussions on there each week, sometimes about the topics we talk about on the show, and we give updates about when new episodes are out. So give us a follow there, and uh, we'll see you online. Thanks, and let's start the show. Listening podcast episode 47 it's october 27th and drake is in another beef yes so which means that i have i've won a much needed over under bet for us yeah you've been hurting i've been for hurting. over under wins i don't think i took it seriously enough to start mm-hmm. the year mm-hmm. i don't think i i took the over under seriously enough and really tried to answer in a way that would be accurate cuz i i've struggled you've beat my ass pretty yeah. hard so in the so for reference for anyone who isn't familiar on the listening podcast we have done year long music over unders we've done things like how many best new musics is pitchfork going to have how many 9.0 or greater reviews are they going to have how many beefs is Drake going to get into this year? And the line we set on the Drake beefs was one and a half. One which and I, a half. Which was a good line. One and a half. Or no, it's not a line. Is it a line? Uh, yeah, it's a line. Kind of a line. It's a line. The over-under. We set the over-under at one and a half. A couple handicappers. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and so we set the number at one and a half, and... At almost the end of October, I, I luckily snuck in with, with his second beef. I needed this win. Yeah. Because I took the over. So, who, who was his first one with again? It was Joe, Joey, Joe... Oh, I don't know. Something. <laughs> Joey Joe. Joey Gladstone. Something like that. It was Joe someone. He was in sort of a beef with that dude. So, this one all came about. Drake, for anyone who doesn't know, released a new... A few new songs on his 30th birthday. So Drake's 30, by the way. That's that's kind of crazy. October 24th is his OVO, birthday. October's very own. Yep, that's right. So he's coming out with a new, what he calls, like, project. It's basically like a playlist in December. It's going to include some new songs. It's going to include some other uh, OVO sound collaborations. Let me ask you this. It. Will it be four hours long? Uh, so you mean, will it be half the length of views? Yes. It'll be shorter. Okay, good. Good to know. Yeah, good we can't know. take another marathon. No, views album. Uh, anyways, so he came out with a few new songs. One of them being a freestyle called Two Birds One Stone." So I mean, great the, name. The title is aptly named. He's taking aim at a couple different rappers on it with in one song. One of those rappers is Pusha T. The other one is Kid Cudi. So. The first one is Pusha T. Drake is taking some shots at him. I guess Pusha T has been, um, to turn a phrase here, pushing Drake's buttons. That was good. Pusha T, Pusha Buttons, has been pushing Drake's buttons for years now on different songs, taking aim at like the Ghostwriter allegations, mm. stuff like that. I guess. Everyone hammers Drake for that. Oh, yeah. It seems. Yeah. So Drake is basically saying that Pusha T... He's a gangster rapper. Yeah. But Drake's saying he's not actually a gangster. Right. Like so he, that's his claim. He wasn't actually like dealing drugs and stuff like that. Quick he was. side note, it seems like a different decade that we were talking about that King Push uh I know. EP. That's from this year. I know. By the way. That, that was, was a January good. album. It was good. good. I enjoyed that. Uh yeah, Pusha T, good good rap. Like you come at Pusha T, you better not miss. You best not miss. So 
in this verse, Drake comes at him, and, and the real line that stands out here is he goes, Drake says, but really, it's you with all the drug dealer stories that's got to stop, though. You made a couple chops, and now you think you choppo. If you ask me, though, you ain't lying in the trunk with kilos. You bagging weed watching Pacino with all your N-words. So he's basically saying, he's like, you're a fake drug dealer. You've just been, like, doing small-time stuff. You've just been selling a little weed. You, you think, think you're Scarface. You think you're moving weight. You think you're a kingpin. So... You know, he says that. Does he have a claim there? I don't really know. I don't know the validity. Doesn't really of, matter. Of push a tease. It doesn't matter. It's strange to me. It comes across as disingenuous for Drake, who is not a gangster rapper by any stretch, no, and, well, and whose background is is so different, and that he has done a good job to kind of embrace his like kind of Hollywood background, and. I feel like coming at a legitimate gangster rapper is not the way, not the good, a good no. look for Drake. No, it's, it's a little tone deaf on his part. And it definitely it's, is. It's made even more tone deaf by the fact that earlier in that song he goes, it's something about like how I didn't come from privilege, you aren't the only one who's made prison visits. He's making reference to visiting Lil Wayne at Rikers, which, okay. side note, he went to Rikers to visit Lil Wayne to say that he like fucked his girlfriend. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Lil Wayne wrote about that in, in his new book, Gone Till November. He was like, Drake came to see me, told me like he fucked my girl. Like, what? Are they we are friends. they good? Yeah, they're like fine. I think it's a little different for them, where it's like, dude, really? they're just like going from one girl to the next. It's not like a you know that's just how they operate. Interesting, interesting. But still, yeah. So there was ho- that whole thing, and then. The second part of this, he's taking aim at Kid Cudi. So Kid Cudi has recently gone into treatment, rehab for suicidal thoughts, depression, which good for him for as a black male rapper, which is, you know, that's an issue that is not spoken about in that culture a lot. Good for him for being vocal and getting help. Let me just get this in really quick. I thought I saw the writing on the wall with this because... A few weeks ago, do you remember he went on this like crazy Twitter rant against Kanye and yes. everybody? And Drake. It was yeah. kind of a like this really over the top, almost like megalomaniacal. It was like a rant, manic, depressive yeah. kind of episode. He, yeah. Like he, he, I don't remember what he was saying totally, but he was he was like, he was like they're Kanye. all fake, yeah, like, stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, and saying yes. that he was the greatest and stuff like that right. seemed like so, something someone who's struggling with mental illness would say. And then he he checked himself into a treatment center, so. Drake being even more tone deaf here. I do not condone like making light of mental illness. Here, here's what he had to say in the song: "You were the man on the moon. Now you just go through your phases. Life of the angry and famous. Rap like I know I'm the greatest. Then give you the tropical flavors. Still never been on hiatus. You still Xanaxed and perked up. So when reality set in, you don't gotta face it." I th- let me just say, I think you spit that pretty well. Thank you. I thanks. Sounded pretty Thank good. Thank you. Thank you. But, yeah, so he's taking aim at, at Cuddy with that Man on the Moon reference. Now you just go through your phases. Moon like, phases. dude, like, you know, come on. Talking about how he's Xanaxed and perked up and how Drake's never been on a hiatus. Like, well, like Cuddy's Drake, on one now, you know. Drake raps half the time about feeling low. And kind of like, yeah. like, like, you posted that thing on Twitter earlier about how Take Care was the greatest emo album of all time. Right, right. And, for, again, it, it seems like these are weird shots for him to take. Because he's kind of like, oh, you're not a real gangster rapper, Pusha T. Even though it's like, well, Drake, would you know one if you saw one? Because you certainly aren't one, dude. And then with this, like, 
who are you to come at somebody for mental illness issues? Right. It seems like you maybe have struggled with a little bit of depression. Right. Yeah, I don't get it here. I don't either. It, it, do you think he's feeling a little defensive based off of views? He did the, the like the the feedback Probably. of views because he was saying too. I think there was a line in this same freestyle about how like. Um, it, it was something about how like feedback wasn't great on it. He's like, my number's still crazy though. Like, it oh, they are, and they are, and they are. There's no denying that. Um, yeah, this is. Uh, so, so let me get this straight. This is two more. Um, to a couple beef, so it's well over. We're the, at the three. We've yeah. doubled the number. You could say it's technically become three beefs because now the entire internet yep. is against Drake as well. Ah, so it's so Pusha T, Cuddy, that other dude. And the internet in general. The, the web. The deep web. Yeah. Silk Road. Yeah. So, Not what we're talking about. You know, we'll wrap all this up in our year-end episode with yep. all the over-unders, but... Sean's I, cleaning me up, by the way. I, because I, I wanted to give you a W here. Because here's what's going to happen, is the pitchfork over-under for Best New Music is about we to need, hit we need any one day. More. We, we need just one, need one more. more. It's one October more. 27th. We need one more Best New Music from Pitchfork, and we hit the over of... What was it? 48 and a half? 48 and a half. So we'll, one more, what? 49. Wow. Dude, and I hit the 9.0 in over reviews. I think we set that Nick at five Cage. and a half. I yep. hit that like a month and a half ago. Yep. I, you know what? I we did research, and I thought we made the numbers were. We set those numbers well. We set good this over. This has just been numbers. a really strong year. But you know what? Maybe we hit a November lull, and I make you sweat well, a little I think bit. We might. Maybe we hit a November lull, and it gets to be like. I'm not saying I'm going to win it. I truly don't think I will. But maybe we get to like December. Maybe there's like a yeah. month lull. And we get to December, and we still don't know. That that would be yeah. exciting. Yeah, be and then like D'Angelo will drop Black Messiah like December thirtieth again, and it will count. Right. Yeah, and it'll be another best new music. Well, um, this is good. This it feels yeah. good to get a W because I was starting to feel low. Yeah. About about my my status in the over unders. Yeah, I so think I'd only won one out of like five. Yeah. Was there another one I well, got? Well, we tied the Kanye one. We oh. both took the over. So I got it right. We shouldn't do that next year. What's no, the point of no, both no. taking yeah, one? it's stupid. There's it's no reason stupid. to do Yeah, we'll, we'll both go different. All right. Uh, next topic, Jake. Yeah, we went and saw Joyce Manor and the Hotelier live in Boston at the Sinclair. First of all, awesome venue. Great I venue. love the Sinclair. Great if you venue. were from the New England area... Go go to the Sinclair. They they put on a lot of good shows, especially if you like some of the music we talk about. Yeah, on the the old, yeah, the kind of indie rock trending towards the emo, yeah, pop punk kind of genre. That's right. And so we saw Joyce Manor. They were opened for by that's a lot of prepositions. Yeah, the Hotelier, um, another really great emo band that we saw at the Sinclair in July. Big shout to them. Um, so what were some of your thoughts about this show? Well. I thought, first of all, that the hotel year sounded better this time around than when we saw them in July. I agree. So back in July, they were probably had been touring the goodness, the goodness album, maybe a month or two at that well, point. It came out and was it May? It was late May. Yeah. So, so you know, it couldn't have been long. You know, uh, I thought they didn't sound that tight. The vocals were a little like low. You couldn't hear them that well. And that was a headlining tour. It was. and they, Yeah, exactly. I thought this time around they sounded a lot better. I thought Christian Holden was a lot more engaged with the audience. They had a new guitarist yeah. who I thought did a really good job. He did a great job kind of harmonizing and doing like the backing vocals. Yeah. Overall, I was, I was very impressed with them. Instrumentally, they sounded really tight. Both times we've seen them. When they jump into your deep rest, it kills me. That yeah. song's so awesome. Yeah. And it like they're not a band that I would say you'd think of as as like rocking. Like they they rock. That song does though. It's, it has that riff with those kind of like crunchy, yeah. kind of like 
almost bluesy chords yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Sort of just like sort of dissonant chords. Yep. Um, love that song. I thought they sounded great. And I agree. Christian Hold and um, I didn't get the like the best read off in the first time we saw him. I didn't, I, didn't re- I didn't understand like what his vibe was. This time he was at least a little more warm toward the crowd. Yeah. He was hamming it up with uh, people in the crowd about birthdays. Someone yeah. yelled out that it was their birthday, and he right. was like, "Oh, mine was a couple days ago." Right. It was good stage banter. Right. Right. Um, so the hotelier was great. Joyce Manor was also awesome. They they were fantastic. So for I want to say I think the crowd was more so a Joyce Manor crowd than it was a hotelier crowd. Yeah, I would agree. A lot of people. Especially where we were, kind of back in the balcony, didn't seem to know the hotel year songs necessarily, and I was looking down at the at the the main floor, and it seemed like a good amount of people knew the hotel year songs, but I have to say, when Joyce Manor came on and they were playing basically any song that came on, people lost their minds. I have never seen a crowd react the way they react for Joyce Manor. The, even when Joyce Manor was opening, when we saw them open for Modern Baseball, I think the crowd reacted stronger to Joyce Manor than they did Modern Baseball, and that held true this time around as well. Yeah, crowds get huge for, for Joyce Manor, and um, I think, we've talked about this before, I think we listen to Joyce Manor sort of differently than other people tend to. I, like, I feel like I love Joyce Manor because I feel like they're a really good pop band. And I like I like the heavier aspects of their sound. I feel like a lot of people at the shows get really into sort of the heavy, fast thrashing yeah. of the punk like aspect of when, it. When when and this happened both times we saw them. When yeah. he yeah. yells Catalina fight song, and then they jump into yeah. that, the crowd in front of the stage moves like a fucking wave. It's crazy. You, you see them all moving in unison. They're losing their minds. Which I, I'm not a great concert goer. I'm not I, either. I'm a little tired. My ankles hurt a little bit. Right. I get a little bit bitchy. I would not hang in a crowd like that. <laughs> no. I would get like uncomfortable and like probably panic. <laughs> and try to escape. My glasses would be getting knocked off. Yeah. Someone would be stepping on my shoes. It wouldn't go well for me. No. They, so it's interesting because Joyce Manor, especially the new album Cody, um, I think of them with their last two records as being like really on the poppy end of the spectrum of that pop punk sound. I mean, I guess you could argue there are some songs I never hung over again, like maybe. Um, Catalina Fight Song is an example. Um, the Jerk a little bit, or yeah. like uh, In the Army Now, or whatever. Yeah. There are some songs that are a little bit more have some edge to them. Yeah. Um, but but mostly, I just love them for their their knack for melodies and the hooks yeah. and the harmonies they lay down. Um, I just think they they sound really great that way. And so it's interesting to go to a show like that and see the crowd. I think predominantly a slightly younger crowd than us, maybe teens. Or like early twenties. It it, it's early. basically like it's it, it was an all ages show. I would say the majority of people were eighteen to twenty one. Yeah, and there's sort of like a lot of the people who go to the show go there to kind of thrash around yeah. and and mosh a little bit yep. and get crazy, dude. We've talked about this before. The bouncers at these shows get their oh. get they earn their paycheck on these nights. <laughs> yeah, there was one point where I saw the bouncer, big black guy. Yeah. He. Was just this, surveying the this crowd. This was a show in and of itself. He was he was great. I was watching this more than the show, and he's scanning the crowd, looking. And the at one point, watching for crowd surfers, and there was one part where this girl, probably six rows back, yeah. gets up yes. on the crowd, and the this big bouncer leans over the, the over sort of the barricade in the front, yeah. just leans his giant body over, and he ends up like four rows back yes. somehow. Yes, and this girl sees it. And just like kind of squirms down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She realizes real yeah, quick that she yeah. shouldn't have done that. It's funny because the Sinclair is very against moshing or, or crowd surfing or anything like that. 
there was too much happening to to stop it or to be kicking people out. They just kind of let it happen. They we're don't like, stop it. We're going to be as safe as possible. If we see it, we're going to get you immediately and get you down, but we're going to let you go right back. And it's like the bouncers, I can't tell. Do you think they, they're kind of mad? Yes. Yeah, they because sort of A, are. they're not people who like this music. No. B, there's a bunch of like these punk rock Scene stirs around they who they hate, and then three, they have to just be catching them all night. And seriously, they do a good job. They these are big dudes, yeah. and they catch these sort of like skinny, Wacy scrawny, girls. punk girls and guys dressed in skinny jeans. They catch them in their arms like a baby and just send them on their way. <laughs> yeah, they just catch them from the crowd and then dump them. Yeah, they and do. They, they run back. They around. do a good job. Yeah, and these kids keep doing it. They do. The whole show. They do. They they love it. We were up in the balcony. I want no part of being down on the floor for these shows. I like seeing this all from afar. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like your point about how we like Joyce Manor because they're poppy. I think a lot of people who go to these shows, these people who associate with that scene, like them because they sound like they're a punk band in this scene. So it's it. there's kind of two things here. It's like there's two people who like Joyce Manor. It's pop music fans who are kind of um, pretending to be to be punk or kind of um, appropriating punk music. And then you have the punk fans who are really just being like secretly fed pop music without them admitting it. Yeah, and you don't have to admit it with Joyce Manor because especially with their earlier work, their earlier albums have a lot more edge and they're a lot more lo-fi and sort of... They just have more... They definitely are more punk albums than the last two. But yeah, it's true. It's like... That's, I think, why they're so successful in... They get their foot in both they do. both categories. They do. And that's actually a lot of what works about pop punk. It's because true. you can have the pop fan who's like, Ooh, look at me. I'm a little... Yeah. I got a little edge to me. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I get a patch sewn on my jacket. <laughs> right. And then you got the punk fans who are like, Yeah, I like uh, Misfits. Yeah, I like Rancid. But you know what? This Joyce Manor band I like too, and they get to listen to them, and maybe that's what they listen to more because it's more pop. Exactly. Listen to some Green Day. Listen to some Blink One Eighty Two. Yep. Get to play the part of punk. Right. But really, it's right. sort of a pop band. They're playing very excellent pop melodies. It's very true. And you, you get your cake and eat it too. You make a great point about the patches on the jacket. Yep. Because when we saw a lot of people there who had like homemade patches on their jean jackets. Yeah. And you know, we roll up wearing like chinos and like J. Crew jackets. Yeah, I had on my my uh my North Face um yeah. green and orange North Face yeah. jacket. Sort of a dad look. For yeah. Me. I was I was doing like a dad sheet. Yeah. Thing. It, you know, it, you and Josh were looking good. We we were wearing like our our military Big shout to Josh. J Crew jackets yeah. and it was funny cuz we you know, we were looking around and when you see someone who doesn't fit in with that scene it's very obvious. You're like, ooh, I wonder what their story is. Are they like us? It, it's funny. I, I never feel like this at any other show except when I've gone to Joyce Manor and when I saw Modern Baseball. It's very much a scene, and I do feel like kind of an outsider at those shows. I think part of the reason is that a lot of the people who get into music by Modern Baseball or by Joyce Manor um, and bands of that ilk, how do you like that use of I ilk? I like it. Um, I don't mind it either. Uh, I think it's a lot of... And punk, I think, has always done this in pop punk and scenes like that. It's sort of a misfit crowd. It's about people yeah. who are trying... They they found something that they feel accepted in or whatever. Yeah. That's sort of a big part of the culture of that. And I think we just like so many types of music, we're bound to end up there. And I think right. parts of that resonate with us, too, but it's in a different way. We're not at a point in our lives where we like feel that hey, way. 
also how much if they heard us talking about it about them as yeah. a scene would they hate they'd be like fuck you guys you don't understand us no probably probably hate hate us generalizing well it's like dude don't hate us we love Joyce Manor too they're a great band right and I'm not I can't speak to everyone right and now I'm talking to this hypothetical punk who hates me you've got me feeling guilty yeah yeah but maybe maybe I should because it is a generalization but I think that's part of it it's like that's that's always been I think part of punk culture is like and the guy in Beach Slang, James Alex, he speaks to that. It's yeah, like that's absolutely. where he said he didn't fit in school. He wasn't athletic, but when he was in a band, he had a, a like sort of a group of brothers that were his best friends. Right, and that's sort of what I think that scene's partially always been Agreed. about. Agreed. And you could argue being in a rock band at all. Yeah. About that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of being in a rock band at all, yeah, we have a new album by Leonard Cohen. Yeah, and I don't know that he's ever been in a rock band. No, I, that was one of our patented uh, it was great, great segue. segues that make no sense. That was almost as great as Dean Kamen's segue. Ooh. There you go. I like that. I have a flop. I like that. The Dean Kamen yeah. segue. Um, Leonard Cohen, um, sort of like, along with Bob Dylan, one of these guys who you'll see music critics write up as like the poet laureate of, <laughs> right. of, of music. Right. Um, and he put out a new album, You Want It Darker. Uh, and it's sort of being written up as sort of a swan song album by him in the in the sort of vein of what Bowie did with Black Star. Right. Um, although, I guess that's what people were saying about Cohen's last album. He's an old dude. He's 82. Yeah. So people are going to say that about any album he puts out over the last decade or the next decade. Although, the press leading up to this album, he was saying how he's literally ready to die. That's Yeah. And you get that sense on the album. Yeah. And so actually what we wanted to do with this segment, talking about Leonard Cohen, is... Um, we both approached this in sort of a different way. This Very album different. came out, and uh, we both listened to the new record, but Sean's listened, as it once or twice? One, just once, yeah. Just the one time. I've listened sort of on repeat, and Sean got into his album Songs of Leonard Cohen from 1967, yeah. his first record, yeah. um, and has been listening to that on repeat. I listened once today. So we've got kind of the bookend... Leonard Cohen experiences here. i got a snappy name for this segment, Bookends. Bookends. There you go. I think this is both of our first Fourier's into Leonard Cohen. Is Christian that, is that correct? Yes, okay. it is. Except for Hallelujah. Right. And so the thing about Leonard Cohen, just in a general sense, is I was always sort of intimidated by him. I never really understood him because I always liked the song Hallelujah. It was in Shrek when I was a little kid. John Cale's version right, was in Shrek. Right. The Leonard Cohen version is pretty different. It's very different. And so I'd heard the John Cale, I'd heard the, heard the Rufus Wainwright version right. where they sing it very beautifully. Right. Jeff Buckley version? Uh, yeah. And well, I didn't hear that till later, weirdly, even though it's the most famous version. But when I finally was like, oh, this is by this guy Leonard Cohen, I'll give it a listen. Very different sound. It has yeah. this 80s sort of production yeah. with these backup female vocalists, and he kind of just talks his way through yeah, the song. Yeah. And I remember being very put off by that and sort of intimidated. I was like, this guy's probably really arty, uh, and I just won't understand him. And so I, I had never listened to Leonard Cohen before this week at all. The one song that I had heard, actually, before, I had heard a, a Hallelujah as well. He did the intro song to season two of True Detective. Oh, was never, that him? Never mind. Yeah. Oh, then I would have heard that too. And his voice is so gravelly and deep. So it, uh, he always was a guy with a lower register voice. I mean, even in listening to songs of Leonard Cohen from 67. Yeah. I mean, he was born in the 30s, so he's in his 30s at that, yeah. that point. So his voice is pretty deep there. On this album, You Want It Darker, it's like it's so deep I can't really replicate it. <laughs> no, I, I was like it's, about to try. It's impossible. And do the never mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, that doesn't do it justice. You Want It Darker. It's yeah. so deep. 
And it's crazy. Uh, he is a singular uh, character, and I actually am realizing through this experience, I really like Leonard Cohen. I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed songs of Leonard Cohen. Why don't you dive into that a little bit? So we'll talk. It's funny. It's funny to to listen to this newest album by him and then go back and listen to what I think is his first album. It is his first album. Yeah. So. He was an author first. Did you know that? I did not know that. He wrote two novels. Interesting. He was a writer first and then got an interest in music and so started diving in. That probably explains why he was in his 30s when he released his first record. Interesting. So going back and and listening to that, his voice is very, very different. Yeah. It's not as as deep or gravelly. It sounds just kind of like a a normal normal deep voice. It sounds really nice, actually. Yeah. He does this thing on the album where it's... I don't want to say it's like... It's not spoken singing, but it's kind of like that. And he's singing more than he does on You Want It Dark. Yeah, yeah, he is. And it's it reminds me a lot of Dylan, to be honest with you. I, I me think too. I think some of the more um like fantastical Dylan stories or lyrics or the more like out there ones, that's kind of what I get from him. It's like these these abstract stories that don't totally make sense. And a great example is Master Song. It's the second yeah. song in Songs of Leonard Cohen. He's talking about like this master and slave relationship. And I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but it's awesome. It kind of reminds me, in a, and I don't know which came out first. I can't remember what year it came out. The Velvet Underground and Nico. The way yeah. Lou Reed sounds yeah. on that. Yeah. Was that 67 as well? It was. Um, just the sound of his voice, the register he sings in, kind of reminds me of Lou Reed around yeah. that period. And a song like that with the master-slave dynamic reminds me of Venus in Furs. Yeah, it's a great point. So I've been listening to that. It's been great for the fall kind of cold weather we've yeah. been having. I was walking uh, to work the other day, and I was listening to So Long, Marianne, which is a highlight from this album. It's actually... I think I've heard that song before without knowing it was Leonard Cohen. It's probably the one from this album that most people would have heard before. I think it's like the big hit from it. Um, listening to that, listening to That's No Way to Say Goodbye, listening to Master Song. Really good fall album. Uh, really cool lyrics. Great finger-picked guitars. It's sort of literary. In- Very literary. That's it makes it sense that he was an author. It does, yeah. I listened for the first time today, and I, I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Um, so, do you want, did you have more thoughts? No, that was it? basically it. Like, it's. I think that's a great first way to get into him, actually. Yeah. I, I, to me, it has been the easier entry point than the you newer album has been. It's been the one that I've wanted to listen to more and, and revisit. So what happened to me with You Wanted Darker was I saw it came out, and first of all, I was pissed when it came out, because one, I knew it was coming, and I knew it would be a best new music, because I had seen the reviews it was getting, and you're probably thinking, Jake, that means you're rooting against good music. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, because I, you think? You think? Because I don't want to lose this over-under, which yes. I'm now doomed to lose. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping for no more good albums for the rest of the year, at, <laughs> least, so in, fucked. at least in Pitchfork's eyes. Yeah. But... I saw The Inevitable on whatever Monday, saw that this album had been given to Best New Music, and I saw the reviews previous on Metacritic had like a high, mid-90s, I think a 94, maybe it's a 92 now. I was like, all right, I better check this out. Like I said before, a little intimidated by Leonard Cohen, didn't know what to expect. Something about this album, as soon as I popped it on for the first time, just immediately sucked me in. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I didn't know what I was missing for all these years with Leonard Cohen, because I love his vocal style, it's so, like I said, so deep and so gravelly. And it opens with the song You Want It Darker, which mm-hmm. has just some really, really cool lyrics. All of all of the verses end with him going, You Want It Darker. Yeah. And it, he sounds like like he's like narrating a horror film yeah, or something. Yep, yep. 
And like you said, there's the sort of the spin in the press about how he's ready to die. This is a swan song thing. Well, throughout this song, he's saying, I'm ready, my lord. That's the thing mm. he keeps saying. Um, and there's just some awesome songs on here. Treaty, the second song, is beautiful. I love the production throughout. Um, what I don't get about Leonard Cohen, or what I think is so interesting about him, is that throughout the album, and it seems it would be through all of his albums, if you've heard the version of Hallelujah, and having listened to songs of today, mm-hmm. he kind of just talks. Yeah. It seems like he mostly talks, and he'll latch on to a note. Yes. He'll kind of find a note, and that that sort of anchors it as music. But on this, he's talking more than ever. It's mm-hmm. like really talk music. The p- production and the um, arrangements in the background are beautiful, though. And I think he writes those as well. There's all kinds of instruments on here. There's sort of like strings. There's there's a lot of background vocals that he's he's screwing with. Um, so, I mean, I've just have been loving this. I've listened to it sort of nonstop. I really like every song. Yeah. Um, and I love the way it ends with... So the second track is Treaty. And it has this cool lyric, I wish there was a treaty we could sign, something between your heart and mine or whatever. Mm. I, th- I don't really know exactly what it's about. So I think it's about losing a, like love late in life or whatever. And it ends with a rep- reprise of that song. The yeah, last song yes, is a, yep, a reprise. Yep. Um, so yeah, I've been loving it. And it, seriously, if this year has taught me anything, it's that don't let the fact that an artist releasing a great album is older... De- de- like deter you from getting into them or listening. That's big lesson of 2016 it's for us. B- maybe the biggest, honestly. Yeah. Despite all the great younger sort of like emo albums or whatever, some of the rap albums, bet- between Bowie, between Nick Cave, between Leonard Cohen, all three of those have shown me that it's just worth getting into. Yeah. And age is, it's seriously, it's such a cliche, but it is just a number. Yep. And Leonard Cohen's still killing it with this yep. stuff. He's 82 years Agreed. old. He's almost as old as my grandmother. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So really cool album worth checking out and and getting into Leonard Cohen. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think to wrap up today's episode, we wanted to do a quick music what if about the Beatles' solo careers. So we, as you know, if you've listened to our past episodes, Jake and I have been on a bit of a Beatles kick lately. And the next progression of that has been really diving into their solo careers. And what we've taken away from all of this is how... We were kind of robbed of 70s-era Beatles, 80s-era Beatles, and seeing what they would end up doing as their careers progressed and as music progressed. So our what-if here is, what if the Beatles had just stayed together through right. the 70s, through the 80s, and beyond? What would have happened? Would they have continued making great records? Would they have continued to be ahead of the eight ball in terms of production and kind of musical direction would they have made some duds would they have you know what what would have happened i think part of what makes this such a hard question to answer is that if you look at the four of them in their output in their solo careers it's it's hard to know how that output would have changed if they were in a band still still with the beatles still pushing through um because you look at like take john lennon's for example he releases a couple classics out of the gate uh plastic on a band and imagine and then towards the middle of the 70s, kind of flounders. Has yeah. that lost weekend period where he's with Mei Pang instead of Yoko Ono. Releases like Walls and Bridges and um, Mind Games and some albums that got just very middling reviews. Look at McCartney where he released, he was very prolific through the 70s, more so than John, but got kind of critically killed mm. repeatedly. Except Band on the Run, I think did okay. Mm-hmm. George put out pretty much his whole collection of songs that he'd been compiling through the mid to late 60s 
all on um, uh, what's it called? All things must pass. All things must pass. I wanted to say what is life, but I know that that's a, it's, that's it's a song. It's a great song. It's a great on song there. on the album. So what makes it difficult to say is is their solo careers were so dictated by the fact that they weren't in a band. It's hard to know what their music would have been like. And so I think the first place to try to answer it is. So 1970 arrives, they decide to stay in a band. The decision to do that is probably harrowing because they were like getting to the point where they really couldn't be together. They yeah. were very, very different people. Abbey Road only got made because it was a decision to make the last album. Mm-hmm. And so if so, I, what I'm saying is that next album would be an album made under them fighting through all that and deciding to stay together. So I wonder what that would have sounded like. That would have come out like 70, 71? Well, I was going to say, I think I think it's maybe the biggest break they take. Makes sense. I think it's maybe 72, if not 73, before something gets made. I think, you know, they can kind of go do their own thing a little bit. Maybe they even still come out with some solo albums, but they're still the Beatles. Like, maybe John still does Plastic Ono Band. Maybe. You know, maybe that still happens. Maybe George still releases a lot of the songs that ended up on All Things Must Pass. Well, that's the weird thing about the Beatles, too, is that they were doing stuff in uncharted territory. No one had really done this before. No one had been a band as big as they were. So for them to break up, I think, must have felt final. They didn't... I don't. They, there was no predecessor to show them, like, hey, you can be the Beatles, hold on to that brand, be them, and do solo stuff. Right. Because right. no one had really done that before. Right. There was no precedent. So I think that was difficult. But yeah, that would have been an option for sure. And I agree with the idea that there would have been a break between Abbey Road and 69 and whatever they did mm. next. And like maybe it is to take a little time off, just separate. Yep. And it's weird to me now, actually. It's almost funny that they didn't think of that. Why not just take a break? I think I think tensions were running so high. high. Egos were, were out of proportion. Yeah. I think it was just a mess emotionally for all of them. I don't think people even considered it. Here's a good question for you. What ends up happening then with the material from the Let It Be movie that they ended up turning into the album they released in 1970? I think that still gets released, actually. Like in that time frame. I think it does. But yeah. I feel like it maybe is even better. I feel like they, they were kind of perfectionists, and I think the I, fact yeah. that they ditched it just showed that they were done. Agreed. No, I think they go back, I think, instead of having Phil Spector take yeah. it and do whatever the fuck he wanted with it and yeah. kind of ruining it yeah. and doing, like... In Paul's mind, especially. Bad versions of Long and Winding Road and bad versions with of other huge songs. huge wall of sound production. I think instead of that, maybe they have George Martin take a look at it. Take maybe they crack. actually do that get back, kind of back to the roots of rock and roll that they wanted to do initially. Maybe they release it in that context more so of the kind of trending towards what happened with Let It Be Naked, that vision of it, that direction of it. Uh, I think they go on tour. I think that was the goal with that was we want to be able to play songs live and not have to worry about recreating them. Imagine the Beatles in the, the mid to late 70s with the infrastructure and the technology in place to have a good tour doing like a Led Zeppelin level world tour where they're just in stadiums yep. killing it live. I mean McCartney went on to do it with Wings. That's right. Imagine the Beatles, the four of them up there together in the mid 70s off like a new album. Yeah. A new 70s album. And that's the interesting thing. Is like what would that even sound like? Yeah, would- I'm going to I'm going to take you through my what if. I'm going to take you through basically Let It Be era mm-hmm. through 80s okay. ish yeah, with, let's hear it. with let's the hear Beatles. It. All right. So Abbey Road comes out 
they get the critical acclaim, the fan goodwill reception. They go, you know what? Let's not break up. Let's go back. Let's rework this let it be, this get back session material. Let's put that out as an album in 70. They basically, instead of what we got with let it be, I think they do something that's closer to let it be naked. They do kind of that back to our roots rock and roll. Sounds kind of like the White Album. Sound, yep, yep. I think they do that. I think they do a small tour to kind of support that in like 70, in like in 70. I think then they say, you know what, let's take a break. Let's, you know, we did this, it's out. People still love the Beatles. Let's kind of go do our own thing. We're still a band. We'll come back when we feel like it. I think in the rest of 70, 71, into 72, Plastic Ono Band's still a thing. I think Paul maybe does his own thing a little bit. George is doing his All Things Must Pass. Not maybe in the same context, but he's releasing things. Because I was going to say, quick sidebar... It would be hard for Plastic Ono Band to be the album it was, given that on God he says, I don't believe in Beatles. That's right. So it wouldn't, none of those things would be the same. Paul doesn't write Maybe I'm Amazed, because yep. he doesn't need Linda to pull him out of this depressive funk that he has. John over, doesn't write God. That's right. So everything would end up being a little bit different in terms of solo output, but I think they maybe come back in 72, 73 they, as a reaction to like Exile on Main Street, that yep. gritty Rolling Stones-like dirty blues sound and i think what we get out of that is something that's more in line with what john was doing with dig a pony i want you she's so heavy dig a pony more of that like rock sound i think we get a full-blown beatles rock album like a 70s rock album followed by a world tour in the vein of zeppelin like you were talking about where they're playing that's right not your girls tour they're playing these new Rolling Stones, 70s rock inspired songs. Zeppelin's probably influencing them a little bit too. They're doing some Abbey Road stuff. They're playing Come Together. They're doing I Want You, She's So Heavy. They're playing the Let It Be stuff. Full-blown rock tour. And then I think instead of doing the output that they had in the 60s where it was like every year or a couple times a year, I think they do more of a Zeppelin kind of every few years type of thing. So maybe they come back in 75. Maybe they come back in 78. And I think they do varying degrees of this rock sound yeah. with you know some of the elements that we ended up seeing throughout the 70s on some of their solo stuff. Now, I think one of the interesting questions is, once the 80s rolled around, where we saw so many huge icons just turn into kind of shit, you see Dylan going into his Christian phase and doing weird stuff, you see the Stones kind of receding, you see Zeppelin break up, you see culture kind of fall by the wayside I I want to say that the Beatles would overcome that. I, I want to say it'd be kind of the same thing. I feel like the 80s would still be kind of a at-sea period for them. And then maybe I think they do sort of what the Stones have done, where it's they're still a band, they'll tour now and again, they'll put out some stuff here and there. I'm gonna present that. I'm gonna present an alternate what if. Okay. Um so they're, they're, that's definitely one tract where yep. they sort of they go out, they become a touring thing again, yep. and they, they sort of dominate in that sense. Another option is they do what you said throughout the seventies. They continue to sort of um, put out albums, but not as frequently. And I think the other option is they take their time, they do stuff separately, they still come together to make records because that's what they love, and they loved being that studio band mm-hmm. in the later mm-hmm. years. 
Maybe they tour a little bit. Another alternate is that they stay studio mostly, and they sort of take the time needed. Maybe they release an album in 72, they release another in 75, another in 77, and they're sort of seeing the trends that are going on. In 77, they see David Bowie Mm. working on Low, and they see what Brian Eno is up to, Mm. and they maybe harness some of that creative energy into albums. Because the thing about the Beatles and what people appreciated about them in the 60s is they were always a step ahead. And one thing that I, I wonder is, if they'd continued through the 70s, and even into the 80s, or until whenever, do you think they could have... Do you think they would have lost a step? Do you think they could have stayed a step ahead, or do you think that they would have been able to take a step back and be influenced rather than be the influencer, the influencers? Because I think what happened to them is they burned themselves out. Like you said, they released an album like every single year. They and there was no real precedent for what a band who's the leader should do. So they kind of imploded. Mm-hmm. But if they had taken the time to get mentally healthy, to get right. Get it right, get it tight. And they took a step back and said, well, let's take a look at what some other people are doing, maybe do a little collaboration. Come correct. Get Clapton in on an album. That's right. Get Bowie collaborating on an album. Get Brian Eno in here, see what he's interested in. Yeah. What could that have been like? So here, we were talking about this earlier a little bit, and here's my interesting take on this. I think by the time late 70s rolls around, Bowie's doing his thing, all these people are doing their thing. I think the Beatles become more reactionary to that than the trendsetter. I think they are influenced more than they are the influencer. It's it probably is. a combination. I, I, I think I think that by because look at what their solo output was. They kind of stayed with that same sound. They weren't the visionaries that they were, and maybe that comes with not being in the band anymore, not having all those creative forces Bouncing working ideas together off each other. But, you know, Paul just kind of kept doing the same songs. John, for the most part, kept doing the same types of songs. The production and, and the sounds kind of changed with the times, but it wasn't, they weren't groundbreaking things in, by any stretch. So say you have, in 1971, you have John, they're fresh off a sabbatical, they've yep. taken a break. You have John, they come back to the group, they're all refreshed. John goes, listen to this, guys. This thing I've, I'm on to, it's primal scream therapy. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. Shows them mother. Shows them God. Shows them some of these songs he's written. The lyrics are a little different. And Paul's like, well, listen to this song I wrote. Maybe I'm amazed. And so do you think the creative energy from John and Paul and George, who's now sort of, tr- he has fully come, he's proven himself with something. That's right. He's proven himself with Here Comes the Sun. They now have to trust him a little more. Yeah. And do you think that with a little bit of time off, that creative energy and the differences with them, maybe they find that spark again and they're able to do, maybe maybe I'm Amazed sounds a little different. Yeah. Maybe Mother sounds a little poppier. Right. And that's what it always goes back to with the Beatles and I think that's what is the frustrating part about their solo work is you listen to a full Paul album and you say, yeah, this is good. There's some great things on here, but you know, it's a you need that edge that Paul brings to kind of... Yeah, to to kind of you know rough this up a little bit, give give that it a John little more. Brings, rather. Yeah, that John that John brings to give it a little more edge. And you listen to a full John album, and you go, like, dude, you're taking yourself a little too seriously. You need Paul to soften you up a little bit. Bit of a messiah complex. That's right. You need George to sprinkle in George stuff yeah. in there because I got to be honest, George with a full album is it's a little too much George. Well, you know? especially especially all things. Yeah, exactly. Pass, which like, is like a a tome. You, yeah, you need all of them to kind of you know bring their strengths to the table, 
even each other out in a way, and I think they probably do end up doing that. And what you're reminding me of is something we talked about, which is the scene in Boyhood where Ethan Hawke's character, the dad, makes the out like the Black Album or whatever, yeah, and yep. it's like a four disc compilation of their solo stuff, and he's talking the kid through it, and he's like, "You got Paul welcomes you to the party with Band on the Run, then John talks to you about God or whatever, and then George comes in. He no, it's George talking about yeah. God, and John sings about whatever, and then and what, and he's like." And the kid is like, well, you know, I don't know. The Beatles are good and everything. He's like, I always just thought I liked Paul the best or whatever. He's like, no, he's like, you don't understand. He's like, the whole thing about the Beatles, man, he's like, is that they brought it out of each other. He's yeah. like, that. it's the differences. It's made them the best fucking band ever. <laughs> yes. He gets really into yeah. it. Yeah. And it's true. I think that if there's a downside, and there are some, to Beatles solo work, it's that they, they were all great, but they all had egos, especially yeah. John and Paul, and they were very convicted, if that's a word, Towards the sound they wanted to create, yeah, so absolutely. Paul wanted to make straight up pop with bouncy bass lines and like horns and hand claps and yep. fun. Yep. That's great. That sounds awesome. John wanted to make songs about huge, broad, universal concepts and try to give his philosophical spin on it. That's fun. Without balance, can be a lot. Yeah, exactly. I love that scene in Boyhood. It's, it's awesome. great. It has inspired me to kind of make a black album of my own. What I'm so. I think this can end up being a couple listening podcast official playlists. I think you and I both make our version of the Black Album. We make it as, rather than doing a solo career spanning thing, we do we take seventy to seventy three, yep. the output that was in those years, and we make the best single LP, about fourteen songs. Okay, that you can make out of all of their stuff. And for reference, what you have there is out of... So it's a lot. That's a lot to create into one album because you have, from Lennon, you have um, Imagine and Plastic Ono Band. And by 73, I think he also had some time in New York City. Not that I think anything from there is going to be in there. And also a few hits, Instant Karma. From Paul, you have the McCartney album, which has Maybe I'm Amazed on it. You have Ram. I want to say there's a couple more. There might be, yeah. Uh, like Back to the Egg or something. Yeah. I think that's later 70s. George, you, you have Band on the Run at, in 73. Band on the Run. George, you have um, All Things Must Pass and Living in a Material World. And from Ringo, you have Bocos of of Blues and his second album, which had a couple hits on it. Yeah. Which is called... I think just Ringo, Ringo Star. Yeah. And it had the... Um, what's one what of those big hits? It Don't Come Easy. Yeah. You're 16. You're Beautiful in Your Mind. Yeah. We, kind of weird coming from a 30-plus-year-old. Super weird. But I think it's like an old standard. It, yeah, yeah. But still strange because Ringo is Still like super weird. Definitely so, like 35 at that point. I have kind of already started doing this. Yeah. What's going to be interesting is certain songs might get left off because tonally they might not fit into this this fictional Beatles album. Like yeah. something like, uh, like God or yeah. Mother maybe doesn't... Mother my mate. Mother's going to fit on there. I'm... Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's. How do you sleep? Certainly, would how do you get sleep on is not getting on there because like, that's just a, taking it's a fine song, right? But it's just John ripping Paul apart. Right, wouldn't happen on a Beatles album. So we got to be considerate of those. things. Exactly. So, are you thinking two or three George songs? Probably going to end up being three. It might, it might be three. It's probably going to be three. If the two gonna... that are definitely going to make it are "My Sweet Lord" and uh, "What Is Life." Yeah. I could have you anytime might make it. Yep. It's such a pity might make it. You know, we're gonna have to see how that shakes out. Um it's gonna be a lot of Paul and John on there. I think the I think maybe one Ringo makes it. Maybe 
in fairness to George, maybe we have to give him four, but it might be tough to cut some John and Paul. That's stuff. right. Maybe you do. So and that's up to you. That's what you can do with your your ideal post Beatles album. And that's why another thing I was thinking was take it by the years. We could also do they release an album in seventy one, seventy two, seventy one, maybe they release another album in seventy three. Some of that stuff made it over. If like it maybe if something from George didn't not the song something but something from his previous album didn't make it onto the seventy one album it just rolls over right. to seventy three right. right or something from Living in a Material World I, I like I like having to do that three year stretch it may, you have to make some hard cuts but I yeah. think it makes the quote unquote album itself better I think it makes it stronger I think it's something that happened with the Beatles where they had good songs that just didn't make it and that's why those albums were so good. So I think it'll be fun. Both of us, 14 songs. Let's put the cap there. Um, all the Beatles, the best that we can do, and uh, we'll share those out. So this is an album. This is their next album. This, is the, this will be the next out. Beatles album. Yep. 1973 it comes out. Yep. So big, you know, actually, we're kind of doing the world a favor. We are. We are. We are. We're this kind is, of musical geniuses. That's right. That's right. Just working with, with the clay that is the Beatles solo music. <laughs> sort of creators. That's right. Nice. Uh, yeah, so keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll share that out on Twitter. I gotta say, that's a what if that makes me really sad. Me too. It's, it's such endlessly a fucking bummer, dude. It's such a bummer. Me. What if they just figured it out? I know. What if they like? How did they never get back together in ten years? Well, until John died. I don't know. It's a, it's a big time what if. Ugh, it really big time is. what if. Let us know your thoughts if you have any on on kind of how that would have shook out or what some of your favorite Beatles solo stuff is. Yeah, or your favorite Beatles solo album. Yeah, absolutely. Is it Band on the Run? Is it Plastic Ono Band? Is it I, let, what is yours? I, I'm I, hot take right now. Not, not even a hot take. My favorite's Band on the Run. I think my favorite right now is either Ram by McCartney or Plastic Ono Band by Lennon. I listened to Ono Band again today. Yeah. I honest, I I enjoyed. Paul's stuff more. It's a more enjoyable yeah. album. It's a more fun album. Yeah. It's it's it, to me it depends on mood. Yeah. It comes down to mood and what I'm feeling. Yeah. I'm not always in the mood for the theatrics of Band on the Run. Right. I'll give you that. You know I'll what I mean? That. It's yeah. kind of a Sergeant Pepper type thing. It is. It's very much a high, it's a concept it for is. parts. Yeah. And yeah, it's sort of like but it's a lot of Paul. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's very Paul. It's very Paul. Yeah. Um, Unchecked Paul. Yeah. That should have been the name of the album. Unchecked Paul. <laughs> Featuring wings. <laughs> Unadulterated Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's the show. We will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. So as you know, I've started drinking coffee recently. Mm -hmm. For like the past two weeks, I've been drinking coffee. Yeah. I didn't have any the past two days. Didn't feel like I needed it. I got plenty of sleep. Yep. Slept over Brittany's house last night. Didn't sleep that well. Mm -hmm. Woke up, got ready, went to work, got to work, wanted to kill everyone. Yep. It was with one of those moods where like every little thing annoyed me. I was in a terrible mood. I was like, I'm feeling a little tired. I'm going to drink a cup of coffee. Drank the coffee. Immediately made everything better. <laughs> Wasn't annoyed anymore. Didn't want to kill everyone. I was like, oh, it's just a normal day now. This is, 
And I was like, ooh, that's the first time I've ever ever experienced this feeling of like need my coffee to like yeah, I was gonna start say, my day. I was gonna say that's like one of the jokes that's on our coffee calendar. That's right. There's the Max brought where it's like day doesn't start till I get my coffee. Right. Like don't talk to me till I have my coffee. <laughs> Right. You kind of... Addiction never smelled so good. Right. Seriously, that's like what it says. Yeah. See, I've never found... Well, you know what? I try my best not to talk for most of the morning when I'm at work. Yeah. I try my best... If I don't have a meeting, I just am like zoned into like being silent and listening to things on headphones. I get coffee in the first half hour of work every day. Yeah, yeah. And I enjoy... It's a routine. Right. I have a yogurt with some granola and a coffee, and I sit there and like... Kind of don't really work for a half hour and, and eat breakfast. My, and disclaimer to anyone I work with, yeah. my first half hour at work, there's no chance I'm getting work done unless I have a pressing email in my inbox because I need to get there. I need to settle in. I need to... Gotta settle in. I Gotta settle in. I need to eat like my Nutri-Grain bar or my Cliff bar. Yep. I need to go get like a tea or a coffee. And then inevitably I need to go shit. Right, there you go. Like immediately when I get to work for whatever reason. And then by that time, it's like 9.30, 9.45, and I'm starting my day. It's hard for me to just jump right into work. I can't do it. It takes me like a little warming up period. You know what? I don't even think you need a disclaimer because anyone, including either of our bosses, who denies that that's part of their day, I feel like that's most people. You need a little bit to warm in. Now, some days I have a 9 o'clock meeting. Right. Some days I'll, I'll come right in and open up my email and there's five emails, Yeah. a few of which are urgent, and then I'll jump right in. But if there's nothing pressing... You know, I'll work my way into my creative process. You know what helps is having a meeting early because it makes yeah. it forces you to forces start the your issue. day, and then you're like, okay, well, now I can I need to just dive in. The worst thing is though when you're me and you have an early meeting and you do have to shit and you can't because you're stuck in this meeting and you're uncomfortable and you have a stomach ache and like you're you're twenty percent afraid you're gonna shit your pants in a meeting. <laughs> that's yeah, that's no good. I'm, I'm letting a lot like. Slide here in this after show, dude. It all comes out in the after show. Speaking of the after show, um, Mary Kate was talking to me the other day, and I just said the other day, like I was from Mass. The, oh, the other day, the other day, and she was like, "Oh, I'm listening to your Beatles podcast." She's like, "I finished the first part." She's like, "I'm in the after show now." She's like, "This is a really long one." And I was like, <laughs> oh, I, "I was like, what are we talking about? I don't remember I don't either." And she goes, "You were talking about the Rapture." <laughs> what? I've never been less surprised. <laughs> I've never been less surprised by anything. I think this is a good time to say that Jake and I have realized our after shows have gotten lengthy. They have. They've gotten long. Yeah. <laughs> they've they've gotten self indulgent. It's um, a bloated, like physical graffiti length. Yeah. This is a late seventies Zeppelin effort yeah. when it comes to our after shows. We've realized this. Yeah. I think we've realized it means that like we're interested in talking about other things and branching out besides just our music conversations. Yeah. I think the plan is to, you know, pilot another podcast yeah. of just general topics to talk about. Yeah. We can be a little bit more funny. We can be a little bit more creative. We can talk about some of these big, weird ideas that yeah. we like to talk about. So it's just a matter of figuring out what it's going to be called and, and what we're going to talk about. We like, we're a couple jokesters. We like to joke around. Just ham it up. We like to have a good time. To- <laughs> you know? We like to have a good time. Ham it up a little bit. Just about just about goofs, yeah. really. And the thing is, is it's just for laughs. That's the thing about it. You know. And so, like, if we did another podcast, music, there are things about music that are funny. We'll get into some of those in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, Drake is funny. Yeah. There are things about music that are funny. Mostly music's not that funny. 
We no. try to infuse humor here and there, but it's sort of difficult. And that's what I think this has become an outlet for, is us just uh, dicking uh, around. Agreed. And, and also, talking about we, hamming it up. We, t- we talked about this before, too. Music is one of the things that you and I take more seriously than anything. Mm-hmm. So that makes it even harder for us to joke around and do some of these other things that we want to talk about. Like, I'm sure there's great music podcasts out there that just focus on the absurdities of music. Yeah. They're probably poking fun at Pitchfork all the time and, you know, the stupid shit that Drake says and does. We do that to an extent, but I think we trend more towards the serious discussions yeah. about it. And well, it's I mean we we do the shock jock jock things and stuff like that. What do you mean we do that? He comes on you're and right, makes an you're ass right. of himself. You're right, you're right. I hate that guy. <laughs> You're right. We could be like Ringer podcast funny where those guys, it'll be like about trends and like in jokes about cultural trends. Yeah. I, that personally never is that No, because they're just like referencing memes. Yeah. And it's like you're like 38 and <clears throat> this isn't totally, like I know you're not totally plugged in. <laughs> you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? I, I, so if you're listening, if you're interested in like another pot, non musical Jake and Sean pot, just like talking about whatever, I've been trying to think of names. I don't know. Uh, let's. One that came up earlier was trying to sound smart, which is too too long. But I just oh, I don't hate that. I kind of like that. I like that. Wor- yeah? Let's workshop okay. around that. Workshop. Let's, let's workshop around that. It's just about workshopping. Just workshopping, hamming it up, having a few good laughs, just having a ball. <laughs> Really is what we're all about. It's just having fun. God damn it. We just like to... We're riffing is what it is. <laughs> it's a lot of riffing. The whole podcast should be us just trying to describe what the podcast is. <laughs> you know, it, it's joking around is what it is. You know, what it really is, truly, is that we're just we're just sort of a couple jerks talking smack. <laughs> I like to add that to the ideas. Okay. Um, yeah, but... So stay tuned on that because that will give us... You know, these won't be as long. Yeah, they don't start out like how they actually started out, which was like maybe a minute of just like nothing, and then hop into the episode. Because it used to be just us like kind of preparing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now we've used them as our soapbox. We were, yeah, like like we said, it's late seventies Zeppelin. It's self indulgent. Yeah, we're just kind of like jerking each other off here. That's after the show, (laughs) right? That's after the before and after after the. That's a that's a pre and post show routine, Jake. <laughs> that's a ritual we take very seriously. Uh, we've never strayed from that. We've, we've never missed it. No, even last week when we didn't do the pod, that's we did right. that. No, a we few don't miss times. our Thursday before and after <laughs> Jo session. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I'm ready to dive in. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, I need a minute to compose okay. myself. Let me okay. see what the notes say. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's see what this torrent is at. Okay, 49 minutes, 30 seconds. For, the re- for reference for listeners, um, we're downloading legally right. a copy of Let It Be Naked on Sean is. Right. Tell them how long it had ballooned to for a download time. <laughs> two years and 18 weeks. I thought it was one year and 18 weeks. It was two years. Two years, 18 yeah. weeks. And yeah. at one point it was 13 weeks. Yeah. Now it's down to what? 51 minutes. Okay. 27 minutes. This is nonstop entertainment. <laughs> Just watching this ticker. Dude, we should update the ticker as we go through the episode. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, because you know it's not actually going to take 
the time that it says. It's going to probably take closer to two years. It's jumping from, and I'm not watching it, oh. listeners, but it's jumping from what I can tell very erratically. It is. It's it like is. 51 minutes. There's no rhyme. Nine months. <laughs> There's no rhyme. 365 hours. We're going to keep this posted on on the uh, throughout the episode. Throughout the podcast. All right, let's dive in. Okay, you ready? Yeah, we're you ready. ready. Okay. Three, two, one. <laughs> 